everybody. I want to welcome you back to the podcast. Got a good special guest today that you're going to fall in love with and enjoy. And uh, it's been weird. Been trying to get this gentleman on the show now for about a year. But we've had, you remember when we were in the old Studio 22 and we used to complain about how the air conditioning wouldn't work. And then we talked about how we couldn't get Wi-Fi over there. Well, a lot of times we could. it was impossible to get Skype in and out of there. And a lot of times it failed. And, you know, a lot of our guests we have in studio, but... Sometimes, in order to get with folks, we, we need to have the power of technology, and so Skype has been a fantastic thing in this new studio, and uh, happy to be able to use it today with a guy. Like I said, it's just been, it was almost at some point in time like God didn't want us to have, want us together, you know? So maybe something powerful is about to come out of all of this. But I'm going to introduce you to my buddy Dylan Volk. Dylan, he's lived all over the country, and he's going to tell a lot of his story. Uh, here's a guy who... Um, He's trying to run with everybody. In some cases, it landed him in jail. But now he's, he's written this tell-all book, and it's a fantastic book. I read it about a year ago, and he's going to lay out some real juicy details. And the reason that it's so juicy is because Dylan is a guy who is very open and honest about his own battle and triumph and living with autism. And we're going to get into that today. And it's, 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 the stories in this book are fantastic. I got to know Dylan through his dad. He met me at a show we were doing in Boston and they had come down from Maine and we visited all afternoon with our buddy, uh, coach John Brubaker, coach brew. If you're following him on Twitter, fun guy, great life coach and strategist. And uh, we were just hanging out and he said, man, I wrote this book called chasing the rabbit. It's a dad's life to raising a son on the spectrum. Derek Volk wrote that book. And then Dylan has the, his son has the follow-up book which is bad choices make good stories my life with autism and so it's a pretty incredible uh incredible book you're going to enjoy and getting to know dylan and, and just talking openly about this thing we know is autism which is so mysterious in so many cases so dylan welcome buddy it's good to see you man how's everything in sunny california oh it's paradise out here except for uh you know a lot of homeless people but hey trade-off for the weather i think yeah. it's worth it yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes yeah. people just need to be able to poop on the street, bro. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just walk over the needles, the heroin needles. It's not that bad. So you went out to California kind of mo working in, into uh, the Hollywood life, right? Wanting to do comedy. And how'd you wind up in L.A.? Uh, well, I actually got an internship with uh, the Jesse Lee Peterson show. Uh, Chad, you were on Jesse Lee Peterson uh, when he was on Newsmax last year. You guys had a fun interview. So that brought me out here. And that has been uh, one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And uh, I'm still working with him. And I do my book stuff also. Um, and so, yeah, living the dream. Do you ever, you ever walk around the studio there with Jesse Lee Peterson and just go, beta mail? <laughs> sometimes he he'll uh he'll talk to us about uh you know cer certain things uh i don't want to say too much because you know that's my job <laughs> i better stop talking now. no you're good he's one of my heroes i love watching his uh his interviews and his spots is pretty incredible because he just takes no prisoners i uh you wrote this book and it's a, it's something that's pretty interesting because you've you've lived quite the life you and you're out there, and I've watched a lot of your YouTube videos over you know the last year that we've known each other because you've got the uh, it's at real Dylan Volk right V O L K that's your YouTube channel, funny videos, and you pull no punches, dude. I mean, you go at it on those on those YouTube videos. 
I do, uh, yeah, I do little vlogs that are just kind of uh, my opinions on things. For example, real quick, like I leave part of autism is I'm very forgetful and we leave stuff everywhere, people with autism. So I, what I have done to adapt, I have put, I got a label maker and I put my phone number on everything and I put return for reward underneath in all caps. Yesterday, I get a call from Target. Guess what? I left my ID at Target. I was doing a pickup. And so the thing is, though, people don't ever want the reward because the reward for people is being the hero. They love being the hero who the good Samaritan who picks up a lost object and calls the phone number. And so I by by having autism and leaving stuff everywhere, I am creating heroes. It's really altruistic. <laughs> You're going to go broke, though, if you keep giving away all the rewards. <laughs> Losing your hair sucks. You know it does. You know what doesn't? Keeping your hair without leaving your couch. If you're losing your hair, you got to know Keeps. Keeps offers the generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products. That's the real deal. And the generic versions save you a fortune. It's simple. Just answer a few online questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and a doctor will review everything and recommend the right FDA-approved hair loss treatment for you. Then it's going to be shipped discreetly to your door. You're probably wondering, will it work? Well, I'll tell you this, a whopping 66% of men experience hair regrowth thanks to Keeps. Losing your hair sucks, so let's do something about it. Here's the deal I have for you. Go to keeps.com slash loss to get your first order of keeps hair loss treatment for 50 percent off that's right half off that's keeps.com slash loss keeps.com slash loss You know, and that's one of those things of human nature. You've had to deal with that. You've written a book about it because not everybody's human nature is the same as anybody else's. You've been a living example of that, having to battle autism. How did you? How old were you when your p- family realized, your parents realized that, that you were dealing with life on the spectrum? They realized something was up when I was three and I wasn't playing with the other boys, you know, at the playground in the sandbox. I was doing my own thing and I was totally uninterested in the other kids and then they went from doctor to doctor back in the 90s there was no awareness about autism uh and so finally when i was eight i got formally diagnosed and at that point in time how much was known about how you handle that face that approach that or treat that in the case of autism Oh, nothing. Uh, it was I was kind of like the frontier, the first frontier through uh, the public school system in in southern Maine where I lived. And for example, they would do things like uh, like when I was having a uh, like a meltdown. What I do is I, I argue when I get upset. Some people, you know, get physical or loud, and I I turn into like a lawyer. That's uh, I guess it's the Jewish side of me. But I I, <laughs> I so there. Some teachers, they would handle it better than others. And, you know, some just didn't like me, honestly. And they would do things like uh, try to embarrass me by putting me in a different classroom and making me go sit in the corner at a desk in front of a bunch of my peers that I was, you know, really, really wanting to fit in with. And so when I started arguing the teachers, they, some of them um, in one school, they, 
that was their approach to handling me, basically embarrassing me in front of my peers. So it was rough. So that's that's one of the things that you approach uh, in in your just your public life, you know, in the book. And y- you talk about having this time in life where you've tried to run with pretty much every crowd, and that hasn't always ended up so well for you. Tell me, tell me about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I have tried to. F- I. I, I with autism, the number one hallmark is special interests, right? So uh, for a while, like in high school, my special interest was bl- uh, black people, basically black culture. And so uh, in high school, I started making friends with the kids who, you know, there weren't a lot of black people in Southern Maine, but you I made say, friends. How many kids. black people did you have in Maine? In so I had, to, I had to do the next best thing, right? And make friends with the kids who partied and listened to rap music and all that kind of stuff. And so I started fitting in with that crowd and I would do things, you know, if they, if when you're in that crowd and you're doing stuff that's not so, you know, within the law, you're, you're going to go along with it because you want to fit in. And so that landed me in jail a couple of times. Yeah. And that's, if you want to, did you want an example real quick of that? Oh yeah, like, by uh, all means, 100%. They, I, uh, actually a couple several years later, I was living in Southern Utah. I know I've lived in a lot of places. That's why you got to read the book. Um, bad choices make good stories.com by the way. So I was in Southern Utah and there was this group of guys that I was hanging out with, uh, and they were going to go, uh, hit a lick. That's like urban slang for, uh, for like rob someplace. And they were going to go shoplift at a GameStop. They wanted me to be the getaway car. And of course I wanted to, you know, be cool. And if you say no to that kind of thing, you're like, why, why are you being lame? You know? So I was like, all right, let's do it. So I uh, went to jail for one night for being the getaway car in a shoplifting spree. So that was one example. You and you were just doing a lot of these things because I know that in many cases you alluded to how teachers approached you and how things happened in the classroom. Do you think that a lot of times people who don't understand what is autism and it's so misdefined and can be defined in so many different ways because it affects people in so many different ways, people just thought you were being a bad kid? Oh, yeah, because it doesn't look like I have autism. And when I do interviews, a lot of the times in the comments, people will be doubting that I have autism, Yeah, uh, which which I guess is a compliment. But I say you should have seen me 10 years ago. I mean, <laughs> if you saw me in one of my meltdowns, yeah. you would definitely know something was up. However, you know, it was it, it did look to a lot of people because it was the thinking for a lot of people was like he's he's smart like he's very smart so it was like he knows what he's doing or he should know better and maybe in some cases that was a little bit true but i definitely there was just way more complexity going on in my mind than there was uh, in the average student yeah and you you write this book i i mean how much time you got to appreciate the fo- the folks who have gone on before all of us with with not understanding or even being able to diagnose think about generations ago people really didn't understand things like autism and you've written a book about it this book bad choices make good stories you know you it is your life with autism how does it affect the reader what are they taking away from this? Why? Let's. I understand people who deal maybe with children with autism, but let's say just the average reader. Why is it important to read this book? Well, because you're going to get inspiration from it. You're going to be able to relate to it, the things I went through. You're going to get an insight to the thought process also of somebody with high-functioning autism. Um, and you're going to get kind of the whole package, honestly. It's a roller coaster of a book. Also... It is the first book with emojis, forgot to mention. Nice. It's got emojis through the whole thing. 
And uh, yeah, the audiobook is also available if you rather listen and guess who narrated it. <laughs> and if you, and in that case, you don't need the emojis because I am your emojis on the audiobook. <laughs> and it's and it comes with, a, comes with a perfectly good explicit language warning. So be he- heads up; it's right there yeah. on the on the front of the book. You're like a rap album, dude. You're, you're literally <laughs> I, like a. I told, my, <laughs> I told my dad I want to put the parental advisory on it, and he was like, "No, that's yeah. ridiculous," and I insisted on it. <clears throat> I had a great time with your dad. It, you know, we've we've had a good time together, just hanging out, talking, talking about you. He's so proud of you, so proud of your success. He was showing me your videos. That's how you know I got accustomed to hearing your voice and knowing you and, and laughing with you and just learning from you is you had uh you had folks that um they were uh, i love it dude you you vanished and then you were back i looked up from the camera Sorry, and you were gone. Had, it's all good i i wanted to grab the flyer i made for my youtube channel right here so i can plug that yeah. real quick it's beautiful look at that look at that sexy oh, yeah. beast the most hang on most keep it up there you got a hillary hat on i love that you got you're you're going crazy, and then there's another one where you're going crazy, and just move it over, move it over the other direction, yeah. Wait, oh, and then there's the calm head right there. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You people have got to check it out on YouTube. It is it really is entertaining. But I mean, you've done comedy. Your dad was showing me those videos, and like I said, that's how I kind of got it. I was like, I need to talk to this guy. And your dad was like, Well, he's got a book. And, you know, I said, Well, not only is he funny, he's smart, and he's he's writing all this stuff out there. But you've got some pretty good. Um, you've gotten some pretty good folks. To give some pretty good uh, reviews of the book, I mean, is is the stuff says uh, it is simultaneously well, funny, sad, scary, victorious, hopeful, and endearing. I mean, you know, the that, book honestly has all of the classic story <laughs> tropes, I guess you could say. And when I say that, I mean it has it has dating uh, success stories and dating disasters. It has weight loss. I gained, I got fat for a while. I gained like uh, 80 pounds and then I lost 80 pounds. It has drug use and going to jail for drugs. I I was doing meth for a little while and I got arrested for meth. It, it, so it, it really has like all of the things that you could, it's like somebody told me it's like three and a half movies. You're like a cautionary tale, Dylan. Your cautionary yeah. tale. I love it. But just reading the reviews of the book, that's the word I was looking for earlier. I mean, they give you a lot of a lot of kudos on this thing. So yeah. Yeah. I love that you're you're just out there telling that story and you're not afraid to do it. You got a podcast as well. No offense. Outrageous autism. Is that the name of it? Yes. And on the back here we've got that too. No you got offense. A card for everything, Dylan. Outrageous autism. I thought that was a great title because it kind <laughs> of if I say anything offensive, you've already been warned. You there know? you go. That's like me. I'm not apologizing for anything. I don't care who gets offended. I'm not apologizing. But uh, on uh, if you want a quick example of like a recent podcast I did, I did an episode where I broke down how it you see an interesting parallel between how black women are the least likely to get married and white men are the least likely to have friends. Yes, that's actually been studied. And so I broke down the parallels. I talked about why that is. And uh, so... Yeah, there's just one example of the kind of juicy content you can expect on there. You understand why it's called No Offense. Gotcha. I love it. <clears throat> well, hey, I love it, man. Keep doing what you're doing. I encourage people not only go get Bad Choices, Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism by Dylan Bo, get his dad's book as well, Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum by Derek Volk. And, of course, sitting here with Dylan. You staying busy out there, man, besides Jesse Lee? You keeping it straight in L.A.? Yeah, yeah, just doing uh, my 
my podcast, my videos. I have a girlfriend, um, and so that keeps me busy. And uh, you now you might think, oh, how is this guy autistic and he has a girlfriend? But you will see uh, there it was many many years of struggle and su some success, but a lot of struggle uh, dating with autism. Uh, I must have gone on. I don't want to say how many. That'll upset my girlfriend. But lots of dates. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're a good man. You, you were sharp. And I, I appreciate how quick you caught that because, yeah, I, I you know, spend a few years married. You learn tricks like lots that. Of, it's crazy. Lots of Tinder dates. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. Dylan Folk, get his book, Bad Choices, Make Good Stories in My Life with Autism. Dude, thanks for hanging out, man. Thanks for coming on the studio. Tell Jesse Lee I miss him. I love him. I want to kiss his head. Kiss the ring. Okay. He's awesome, man. He's awesome, Dylan. And you can see the book right there over his shoulder. There's the that's what the cover oh, yeah. is. Been handsome guy. Look at that boom. It's on your shirt. You are a walking talking marketer, bro. <laughs> you got cards for it, shirts for it, and everything. That's I awesome. I do. I do. I admire that. Anybody that knows me knows how much I admire that. Well, good deal. By man. the way, let me just say it's bad choices make good stories.com and the audiobook is on Audible. Cool. You got it, brother. Hey, thanks for coming <clears throat> on, man. Look forward to talking to you soon. In the meantime, follow him on Twitter. Give it again, Dylan. Real Dylan Volk. Almost real. like real Donald Trump, but real <laughs> Dylan Volk. Real Dylan Volk. And uh, he's on there. Go follow him. Go check him out. Thanks for coming on, Dylan. You know, I was telling my wife last night about someone's home that was stolen. I don't mean that thieves stole their stuff. I mean scammers literally stole their home. The FBI calls this title theft, and it's one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes that's out there today. This story is why I protect my home's title with home title lock the users have said listen criminals found the title to their home online filled out fraudulent documents and claimed they owned it don't let that happen to you it gets worse the same homeowner said they were evicted from their own home and 85 grand in equity poof gone nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily this is why I have home title lock because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to hometitlelock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't even know it. Then sign up to pr help protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like these folks in the story. And to get you started, I'm going to get you 60 risk-free days of protection. Go to hometitlelock.com. That's hometitlelock.com. Do it right now. Hey guys, welcome back, Chad Prather Show. Uh, sitting down uh, via Skype, all the way as and as well. I won't even say what he says, but uh, Carl Higby's on the show today. Join us from Connecticut. I'll let him tell you what he said about Connecticut. I had somebody that was talking to me the other day. And they said, well, I mean, you know, I, I lived in southern Connecticut. And I'm like, I never think about Connecticut being tall enough to be in north or south. Really, it's just Connecticut, right? That's Yeah, I mean, guys in your state have backyards as big as this state. So, well, you know, it's, it's pretty do. much the socialist republic of Connecticut. It's... <laughs> It's gone pretty bad. I have, a, you know, all my friends from the Northeast and New England all the way out to California, they all have their little pet names for uh, their parts of the world where they live in. And I'm like, just move. But I get it. I uh, No, you, you talk about that. 
I, I I make a joke about how you know Texas we have bikinis with our flags on them, right? We we make we have waffle irons that make the waffles in the shape of our state. Like Connecticut couldn't do that; it'd awesome. just be a it'd just be a rectangle waffle. Well, it's got that. <laughs> I live on the little the little part off to the side. You know, right. the little thing hangs up. I actually I, I live right down there, and you know nobody has ever made a bikini out of a <laughs> Connecticut flag. Right. I've never seen a waffle out of a Connecticut shape. Where people here. <laughs> Are generally so self-consumed that they don't think outside the, the the box of of anything but going to work in the morning. Let's talk about that a little bit because that seems to be the American culture we're living in. Carl Higby, of course, you've got this podcast that's, that's out now, or is it coming out? You got the Carl Higby Show. Is that have you already started releasing episodes of that? Yeah. So I actually was at I was with a America's Voice for a long right. time, and then took the platform over to Life Zet. And, uh, you know, we just it, once a week, me and a couple buddies, we get together, we talk about all the things that people are uh, thinking about. But well, the thing is, is I've never been one to shy away from controversy or saying what everybody is thinking. Right. So naturally, it has a little <laughs> bit of shock and awe value. <laughs> That's funny, and we'll talk about that later on because you're you're. I have that same kind of uh, disease where I don't have a lot of filter that's there, so stuff comes out. Uh, But as a Navy SEAL, as as a retired Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL, I I always have this ongoing debate with um, our buddy Clint Emerson. I say, "Are you retired? Are you done? I mean, are you? For all I know, he's probably in the room with me right now. I don't know." Yeah. (laughs) So technically is if you retire from as being a seal you did 20 years so you retire mm-hmm. from the military you do 20 years you get all these fancy dancy few thousand bucks a month for retirement benefits crappy health care through the va etc right. etc and uh, but if you you're just former navy so like there's some guys out there that are so gung-ho they're like yeah man once a seal always a seal raw yeah but I'm just like, dude, I don't deploy anymore. I yeah. shoot guns on the weekend, so I cl- guess I classify as a former SEAL. Yeah, I, I'm i always, of course, I, I still, uh, I tell Clint he's part of the CIA, and he just shakes his head quietly at me like he's plotting my death. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, but from that perspective, from a former military perspective, and you look at what you said, a self-absorbed, you know, you look at New England, you look at Connecticut, you look at these parts of, uh, you know, these coastal elites, if you will, Coming from the perspective of discipline and what you've gone through with deployments and everything else, and being as outspoken as you are, how weak have we gotten as a culture of being self-absorbed? I mean, it, we are so thin-skinned. Yeah. No. Well, actually, so I just I just released my third book, uh, maybe like a year ago, Crisis of Culture, and I talk about how people are just so bought. Like everybody has like is in the their primary profession in life. Doesn't matter what their job is. Their primary profession in life is being offended. Yeah. And I, I have so many people time and time again tell me that like well carl you can't say that that's mean no that's offensive or you know and and i've had look i resigned from the trump administration because of some stuff i said back in like 2012 when i got back from war okay i said some stupid stuff on radio admittingly shouldn't have said it whatever but that doesn't like nobody can actually find a single person in my entire life who i've ever discriminated against ever so but you know because i said something on the howard stern show i'm some bad guy um, but the other thing is, is you, you have this whole notion of people, this is the best. When we launched all those, uh, missiles, uh, uh, on Soleimani in Baghdad, look, I was at that base for 
a number of years, huge base. We launched all these missiles. People were like, oh my God, it's going to be World War III and we're going to get drafted. I was like, I looked at half the people that were worried about. I was like, dude, there is no way we are going to draft you. I'll draft the, the baby boomers before I draft you because you can't figure out which bathroom to use. Yeah, I was. I actually made some memes about that. You got this guy who's you know sitting there with his belly hanging out over the sides of the chair eating a pizza saying, oh my God, we're getting drafted. I'm like, you're pretty safe, fat ass. You can, you can stay in your mom's basement. I mean, yeah. we're at a culture now where people are building basements under the basements, right? I mean, you really right. got to rattle the chains before you ever hear a peep out of these beta male soy boys, which just drive me up the wall. And and I'm like you. I have said plenty of things. Like when I was going out to Hollywood a lot and we were writing, you know, working on sitcom stuff. And I had a good friend of mine. He's a he's very well-known writer in Hollywood. He said, if this show gets picked up, we've got to go back and scrub your Twitter. And I said, that well, just sounds, yeah. dinner, d- sounds dirty, bro. I don't know what you just said, but yeah, I think I get the gist of it. But you're right. You get you get caught up in the things you say, in the time you say them, and then you get crucified for it. Yeah, but that's the thing, too. It's like when I went into the, when I went into the administration, they were like, look, Carl, have you said anything in the past that could be construed as you know any type of istophobic phobophobist? Yeah. And I said, I don't know, man, like... You're going to have to go back. So they handed me a sheet of paper. They're like, well, write down anything, any interview you've done that you think might be problematic in the media. I was like, dude, I'm going to need like a couple extra sheets of paper. on this one. And, you know, I wrote this stuff down and and a lot of the stuff, actually all the stuff, because they ended up hiring me, was like, okay, not great. Okay, not great. But, you know, we'll work around it. It was eight years ago. You said it when you came back from war. Like people will get over it. Well, apparently nobody got CNN didn't get over it. Yeah. And, you know, anybody that, that Googles you, you know, in a quick, you know, search on the online, they can see the things you've said. And again, I hate the fact that you have stuff that's just pulled up and held against you forever. I've always said that you got to judge a person according to the circumstances and their time. Like, you know, you look at people that lived in the 1600s. They did things a little differently than what we do these days yeah. and stuff. I mean, we're not cracking heads open trying to get spirits out because they can't stop bleeding. You know, I, this, although some some heads maybe should be cracked with some of these people who can't figure out who they are. Yeah, we won't get into that, but that's the deal. It's like things change and circumstances change. Sometimes you say stuff because you're around certain people. Let's say you're Donald Trump on a hot mic with Billy Bush on the bus, you know, and you're just yeah. locker room talking and boom, hot mic. There it is. Let's say you're Barack Obama who's telling, you know, hey, tell Vladimir I got more room to work next, you know, after my election. These things get held against us, held us again, you know, and on and on and on. So yeah. that being said, I appreciate your voice and I appreciate what you're doing and your outspokenness because God knows if I had to fill out one of those forms. And by the way, you as a Trump uh, appointee and having to go through that, I can only imagine. But I would just have to put, well, uh, let's just say my entire time at the blaze <laughs> pretty much yeah. has disqualified me for anything <laughs> that you want. So, I mean, there's got to be the, the pressure of doing that. But has it going through all of that stuff? Did it did it tone you down any? Did it did it kind of light a fire under you? How'd you react? I mean, here's the thing, and I'll be honest. Like, I haven't really actually talked publicly about you know the, the behind the scenes of this stuff. Yeah. But you know, none of the stuff that was held against me was from the last half decade. Right. I mean, it was 2012, 2013, and it was stuff I said on a radio show that I was hosting with a guy who's now a congressman, Guy Rushendaller out of Pennsylvania. And, you know, it didn't obviously hold him back too much in an R16 district or whatever he is. But, you know, it was all stuff that if you look, I'll be honest, it wasn't great. Uh, Not proud of some of it. But at the end of the day, 
it was just stuff I said in the heat of the moment to try to get ratings and boost, sure. you know, controversy and stuff like that. But I'll tell you, when I resigned, man, it was it sucked. Yeah. There was, um, I mean, massive pressure, a huge pressure from the media. Never thought I'd see the day that I, you know, had to be called to task and, and quit my job over the fact that I said something, you know, seven years ago. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, t- I took like three or four months off before I could even get back into another job because you were like radioactive. Um, yeah. I ended up going over to the Super PAC and CNN followed me over there and started calling the donors of the Super PAC. I was like, hey, look, if you don't, if, if, if they don't get rid of this guy, if you don't tell this guy that they got to be, they got to fire him too, we're going to um, publish a thing that, you know, you as a mega donor are racist. Yeah. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, what, what kind of world do we live in? And again, I, it, the irony of this whole thing is I got the email about this story coming out from CNN while simultaneously I, I was in charge of community service for the United States of America, which is the irony of this whole thing. Right. Um, I was I'd stood up a program in L.A. for celebrities to come read books to lower income areas of LA and places like that to, you know, help the literacy rate because with the literacy rate is known to be down in the inner city areas of, of low income and minority areas. Right. So I, I walk out of having a yell at Zur, the woman from angels and demons, um, reading books to minority children. And I'm there with her and st- stood up this program to this email. Like, Hey, would you like to comment on being a racist? I was like, dude, I was, you know what? No, I have no comment for you because right. I'm not, but, Whatever. Yeah. And, and you talk about that. You say things in the heat of the moment. You say things that are just kind of off the cuff. I call it that foot and mouth disease where you say things and, and, and there's humor built into it. And there are things that back in the 80s and even though, I mean, you know, when you're growing up, you're like, we might have said that. You know, I traveled on buses with all kind of guys playing ball and traveling back and forth the country. You know, these they were my best friends. We probably said a ton of things that were just crazy stuff right. out there. And you, but you don't interpret somebody's life based on, those circumstances and those times in which they live. So, you know, hey, I just I'm just glad that it didn't kill your voice. I mean, you're still out here doing this thing. You're still being outspoken. And yeah, and- you know what? You know what the irony was is after this whole thing, I tried to moderate. I started a podcast called Liberty and Cocktails, which <laughs> I, I rebranded because my whole thing was like I wanted people to from both sides of the aisle to get together and I'd, we'd have cocktails and we'd talk about issues. The problem was nobody cared. Right. People didn't want to see people getting along and it ratings wise didn't work. The second I changed the name and started going, you know, on attack mode and really fighting back against the liberal media is when the numbers started booming. We're talking like tens of thousands of listens per episode. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, is this where we're at now? So, you know, my my Twitter stagnated, my, you know, follower wise, as soon as I started fighting, you know, and really digging in my heels and be like, hey, this is what I fought for overseas and I'm going to come back and fight for this. That's when people started re-engaging and say, yo, dude, I don't care what you said. Like, I wouldn't have said it. Or a lot of people actually said, hey, I've said way worse. But um, that's when people started re-engaging and be like, look, you got to get back out there. Just because she says she doesn't want anything for Valentine's Day doesn't mean she doesn't deserve anything. Not to worry, the Books Company has you covered. That's Books, B-O-U-Q-S, as in bouquets of flour. They offer farm-fresh, sustainably-sourced flowers for next or same-day delivery. Order today and get 25% off your entire purchase. Go to books.com 
slash Chad. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash Chad for 25% off with the code Chad. And remember, Valentine's Day isn't just for lovers. Show your best Galentine some love. Let mom know how much you love her. Make that first move with the one you've been crushing on. Fellas, look, you think it's cold outside now. Wait until you forget Valentine's Day. I'm looking out for you. Don't spend Valentine's night on the couch. The Books Company is here to make your life easier and they offer more than just roses. You're going to find sweet treats, beautifully styled bouquets, plants, gifts, and succulents on their site. This Valentine's Day, spread the book love with your first love, your forever love, or your loved ones, or your love to be. Who knows? Go to B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash Chad today for 25% off with the code Chad. Yeah, and that's uh, the Carl Higby Show, Carl H-I-G-B-I-E. Make sure you get that right. And uh, I'm glad you're doing it. What do you think, what's 2020 looking like for America? Mm-hmm. I mean, as we head into this thing, I mean, it's it's the ultimate shit show. We say it all the time. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts what we're seeing. I mean, uh, it really it's is. Worse. It's a total, I mean, it was a total goat rope. The um, y- You have a number of, look, look, I live in Greenwich, Connecticut, which is, a, is like Bush- center right you know when trump came down the escalator i was actually live on neil cavuto's show and I, the cameras panned back and i looked and everybody was you know shocking all like oh my god what did he just say and i was like dude that's the next president of the united states people are like you are smoking something crazy and <laughs> i uh, yeah i just i just went out and i defended that not because like look i always say trump's not perfect but he's perfect for me and he's perfect for the time we needed like that nuclear option reset button to kick Hollywood and kick DC right in the nuts and say, we're, we're done dealing with this crap. Um, and I, I see today is, you know, the media, they, I, keep this in mind. The media owns 95% of the airways. They own, you know, all the celebrity opinions less, I don't know, four. Yeah. Uh, they own the news and it's all broadcasted out of the elite areas, DC, New York, LA. They own all that stuff. They have all the schools, they have all the educational programs, they have the best PR and the best surrogates and the most money pouring in from George Soros. It's still a 50-50 proposition. Mm-hmm. And if, if they can be so good at all that stuff and Republicans can consistently snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, I, like, I, I don't understand why they haven't got it yet with Trump. He's going to steamroll. And I'm not saying that to make people sit at home and be happy and take it for granted. Get out and vote in 2020. But at the same time, like, if Bernie Sanders is leading the pack and avowed socialist who has never held a job and lived in a floorless maple syrup shack writing porn <laughs> novels. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're exactly right. I say it all the time. And I, and I do it with the asterisk beside my statement. You still got to get out and vote. It's going to be a curb stomp in 2020. I just truly believe it's just going to be. And there's so many people who will whisper to me. I was in, I was in Washington State last week, and uh, the waitress she comes up and she goes, "I just want you to know I appreciate what you do, and I, I follow you." She goes, "And I'm a big fan." She says, "But I had to call my friends in Idaho to be able to tell them you were here because I couldn't tell any of my friends here in in Washington." And I said, the, I, "People are people are out there. They're just, they're whispering it. You know, it's like they're yeah. scared to admit where they're standing." Uh, who do you think ultimately gets the? Is it going to be a crazy DNC conference? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Who's going to get that nomination? 
Well, so I said from day one, I didn't even think Joe Biden was going to get in the race. Mm -hmm. I still don't think he's going to be the nominee. Um, but he's just, there's too much stuff. And this impeachment thing is, well, I'm sure you want to get to that, but this impeachment thing is going to steamroll his chances because yeah. if he gets subpoenaed, he's going to have to answer under oath. It's going to be a nightmare. I've said from day one, it was going to be a, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, or Bernie Sanders. That's yeah. what I said from day one. And this Buttigieg guy, I think he's you know, a, a flash in a pan, he's going to go away because he's sucked at being a mayor, apparently. So um, <laughs> I think it's, it, I, I definitely think it, it literally is going to be, all right, America, do you want free market capitalism with your eyes on the horizon, or do you want big government socialism? That, that, that's the option we're at now. Yeah, that's ultimately what it comes down to, no matter who that candidate winds up right. being. And are you for that? Do you think they should have a full-blown subpoenaed trial for this uh, whole impeachment thing if it goes over to the Senate? What do you think? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it, look, the Democrats ran the train on Republicans in the House. They did whatever they want with their rules and their way and all their stupid plans. And, and you know, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. Mitch McConnell, you know, cocaine Mitch needs to get on his horse and say, we are done with this. Lindsey Graham, remember remember the fire in Lindsey Graham's eyes during the Brett Kavanaugh hearing? Finally, he had been pushed to the brink. He threw his papers up in the air. He said, this is crap. This is total. That's that's the guy. That's the Senate I want to see right now. The people who have said, look, they've abused this process. They've you know done things for the wrong reasons, the wrong way, with no precedent. I want to see them go in there and take it back. I want to see them subpoena the whistleblower. Because guess what? The whistleblower protection provides zero anonymity. You're going to tell me that you can write an anonymous complaint, clearly drafted by any number of multitude of lawyers, and, and that leads to the impeachment of the president of the United States, and you're going to remain anonymous? Are you kidding me? Like, what kind of democracy? We have the right to face our accuser. Put him on, you know, put him on the stand. Put Adam Schiff on the stand. Put Nancy Pelosi on the stand. I mean, throw Jerry Nadler on there if he'll fit. I mean, this is like <laughs> you, you put everybody up there. I want to hear from everybody under oath because that's when it's going to come down to it. And Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, I want to see all these people what they have to say. I guarantee you, heads are going to roll. Yeah, I want to see Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. I want it to trace all the way back. I want, I think, because it's all connected. Ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, it's all connected. You try this conspiracy, it doesn't work. You try that one, it doesn't work. At this point, they're just throwing darts at a globe and trying to see what country they can blame for Donald Trump, whether it's yeah. Russia, whether it's the Ukraine, whether it's on and on and on it goes. And now we got Iran, so who knows? Costa Rica's probably next. Something going on. I mean, they've used Haiti against him, you know, and didn't respond. Uh -huh. Or in Puerto Rico, and, and good God, they've used everything that's I love, out there. I love that when they, when they use the Haiti thing against him. It was just like, people for people who don't even know, I don't know if you know Peter Schweitzer at all, but sure. he had this great thing on the Clintons. We talked about the the Clinton involvement in Haiti and how like literally billions of taxpayer dollars like vanished for doing you know something as small as a survey on something and all their donors got kicked back i mean it's just insane yeah no it's it's absolutely insane and that's that's kind of where we are i mean you know we're looking at this thing i want everybody subpoenaed i want everybody under oath let's just carry the thing out and then you've got bernie sanders and elizabeth warren who can't even run for president well they can't campaign anyway because they're going to be mm -hmm. stuck in the middle of a senate trial so the whole deal's a nightmare this salamani thing that happened in baghdad you said you've been there uh numerous uh friends of mine have said hey look we've walked those streets we've been right there and we we know where it was at you know and and then we read something last week that talked about how trump had actually signed an order seven months ago saying you could take him out if he crosses this line and the line got crossed and what was your thoughts on that? 
Well, I, I love the memes the next day. The meme wars are just phenomenal. Sure. It was a picture of Donald Trump with a magic hat saying, and now for my next trick, I'll make the Democrats <laughs> defend Iran. I, I mean, that's what it was. It was a terrorist, a bad guy, who was responsible for killing Americans. Look, I was hit by one of his IEDs, killed three of my friends, knocked me out in a Humvee, and, you know, those EFPs. And we were actually hunting his cell that was importing these EFPs that were going through all of our armor-plated vehicles and everything like that. So... He, he was a bit of a bad dude. It, look, the embassy, this is like, I can't believe I have to actually put these ducks in a row, but the embassy was attacked. It was an orchestrated attack. It was, I, I believe it was a test to see our response and how we would, uh, would respond to that and how Trump would, would, would allocate assets. But why else was he there? He was there to organize that, and he was there to organize more. And they had a, they knew that there was an imminent threat to other embassies based on his organization. They took him out. And the, the best thing about this is I love that the, the Iranian government, the, you know, the military machine in the Iranian government, the corrupt, anti-everything, anti-freedom Iranian government, had these huge, you know, huge parades, which, by the way, the, his remains were carried in an American Chevy pickup truck, which <laughs> right. I thought was the max irony. They had these huge parades. Oh, our leader, our favorite guy. But then as things start developing and, and news gets leaked, I mean, I know they tried to shut down the Internet there so people wouldn't see us, but people hated this guy. People hate the Iranian government. And they're saying, we love Trump. Thank you for doing this. It's fantastic. At the end of the day, uh, you know, Democrats could not hate this country any more than they are portraying right now. No, I mean they went all the way to the point of hating the dog that caught Al Baghdadi. I mean it's it's got. I mean if you're gonna yeah. it, right there, you can make them defend Iranian terrorists and and hate dogs. That's amazing. I mean this guy sits on the toilet at three thirty in the morning on Twitter and from the White House just tweets out and controls the the news narrative and cycle for the next thirty six hours. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, he puts out a Farsi tweet, which, in, you know, is the biggest, uh, accordingly, the record for the most liked tweet in, in that history of that country. So, yeah. you know, in the Farsi language. So that's nuts. Yeah. And also Nobody's you see talking the about protesters, that, like, going through the, the streets and things like that. They refuse to walk over the American and Israeli flag yeah. because out of a sign of respect. Yeah. It's a crazy uh, world we're living in, man. Yeah. It's a crazy world we're living in. I'm glad there's voices out there like you. And uh, I'm encouraging people, go go check out the podcast, hang out with Carl Higby, of course, uh, Trump appointee, uh, all kinds of fun stuff there, and uh, former Navy SEAL, and just badass dude. And I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. Where can people can find you on the, all the socials? Uh, at Carl Higby. I kind of got on social at the ground level, so I made it really simple so I don't forget. Yeah. No dots, no dashes, none of those little underscore things that you have to hold the shift key for. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, real simple. Also, uh, I got a clothing line, Right Wing Wear. So, yeah. uh, rightwingwear.com. It's, uh, it, you know, the subtle kind of stuff that you could wear to the country club, collared shirts and nice hats and things like that without being too in your face. But I just want to do, uh, to twist the knife a little bit and, uh, <laughs> let, let people literally wear it on their sleeve. We got it. We've got a friend here and that's uh, pretty high up and executive in the network and he's got some sons and you know, they're just little kids, you know, and they, they live in the South and they got the little bowl haircuts. And I'm like, look how many white supremacists you're breeding. Look at all these, you know. I mean, you guys, you just keep having these. Yeah. <laughs> you having these little tennis playing, V-neck sweater wearing right wingers. What the hell is wrong with you? So, I love it. I love just twisting the knife a little bit. Rightwingwear.com and uh, the Carl Higby show, man. Thanks for everything. Thanks for coming on. Of course, thanks for doing everything you have done. 
uh, in service to the country. And uh, keep on kicking that ass, dude. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Carl. We'll talk to you soon, brother. 